manifest that the soil of India is going to be the last theater of war in this part of the world. Since I do not know how many of us who are going to participate in the coming battles will survive to see India But whether we survive or not, whether we individually live to see India free or not, we are confident that India shall be free. हमारे सामने एक ही प्रोग्राम रहेगा, एक ही प्रोग्राम, लड़ाई का इंतजाम करना, लड़ाई शुरू कर देना और कामयाब करना है। पर हाथ में हाथ है क्या? हमारे रास्ते में आएगी खूब, प्यार, तकलीफें, भी बदले। कोई बात नहीं है, हम जिंदा रहेंगे या तो मरेंगे, कोई बात नहीं है। बात कोई सही बात क्या है, आम बात a Boeing B-29 Superfortress bomber launched a uranium gun known as Little Boy early morning on the unaware unsuspecting public of Hiroshima. The bomb fell on a hospital nearby, killing an estimated 30% of Hiroshima's population instantly. About 16 hours after the bomb was dropped, American president announced the news to the world. Soon after this, on August 9th, America dropped a plutonium bomb called the Fat Boy on Nagasaki at about 11 a.m. The radius of devastation was about 1.6 kilometer, with firestorms raging about 2 kilometers across the northern sector. Although the exact number of dead is difficult to pin, experts suggest close to 226,000 dead as a result of just two bombs. A short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima and destroyed its usefulness to the enemy. That bomb has more power than 20,000 tons of TNT. The Japanese began the war from the air at Pearl Harbor. They have been repaid many-fold, and the end is not yet. With this bomb, we have now added a new and revolutionary increase in destruction to supplement the growing power of our armed forces. In their present form, these bombs are now in production, and even more powerful forms are in development. It is an atomic bomb. It is a harnessing of the basic power of the universe. The force from which the sun draws its power has been loosed against those who brought war to the Far East. We have spent more than $2 billion on the greatest scientific gamble in history, and we have won. But the greatest marvel is not the size of the enterprise, its secrecy, or its cost, but the achievement of scientific brains in making it work. Earlier that day, the Soviet Union declared war on Japan, breaking its Soviet-Japanese neutrality pact, and soon launched their army into Manchukuo, driving perhaps the last nail into the coffin of Japan's territorial ambitions. The Second Front forced the Japanese government to accept an unconditional surrender to the Allies, which was announced on August 15, 1945. According to many top Japanese government officials at the time, 
The news of the Russian invasion was much more surprising and shocking than the devastations of the atomic bomb. It was much later than, and in slower degrees, in fact, that the true effects of the bomb were made aware to the world. Soon after the surrender, a new government was established. And on September 2nd, Japan signed the instrument of surrender, formally ending hostilities in the Pacific. Received this afternoon a message from the Japanese government in reply to the message forwarded to that government by the Secretary of State on August 11th. I deem this reply a full acceptance of the Potsdam Declaration, which specifies the unconditional surrender of Japan. In the reply, there is no qualification. Arrangements are now being made for the formal signing of the surrender terms at the earliest possible moment. General Douglas MacArthur has been appointed the Supreme Allied Commander to receive the Japanese surrender. Great Britain, Russia, and China will be represented by high-ranking officers. Meantime, the Allied Armed Forces have been ordered to suspend offensive action. The proclamation of VJ Day must await upon the formal signing of the surrender terms by Japan. Events at Hiroshima and Nagasaki, although they did spell out one of the greatest man-made catastrophes and is worthy of much intense debate and conversation, it is not the subject of this podcast. However, it was these very events that became the prologue to another story taking place not too far from Japan. A story so peculiar that neither the beginning nor its end is definitely known to anyone. On August 11, 1945, Netaji was informed of the Russian attack on a down-and-out Japan at the fag end of World War II. Japan, then Netaji's sole benefactor at the time, was now on its last legs. The once mighty imperial force now suddenly fell into the throes of utter ruin and chaos. On the other hand, Netaji's Indian National Army had suffered back-to-back defeats against the British and American in the Burma campaign as the latter green ground in the Far East. By May 1945, Rangoon and Magtilla were captured. Netaji had moved his base of operations to Bangkok. Hitler and Mussolini were dead and the war in Europe over. He travelled to Singapore on August 13th and a meeting was held the very next day with the top officials of the Azadan government. A decision was reached that the INA was surrendered as a separate entity from the Japanese army and this was communicated to Japanese headquarters in Singapore. However, Japanese HQ reported that, the, that they could not assure a separate surrender for the INA due to lack of instructions from Tokyo. Hence, another meeting was convened where a consensus emerged that Netaji would fly to Tokyo and discuss the modalities of surrender with the Japanese government. These meetings took place with top officials of the the provisional government of Free India and Japanese military officials. Discussions were also held on the next possible course of action for Netaji which included contacting the Russian authorities. On August 16, Netaji, along with Colonel Habibur Rahman, Colonel Pritam Singh, and SAIR, traveled to Bangkok to meet with General Subaru Isoda, 
chief of the Hikariki Khan, Colonel Kagwa of the Hikariki Khan, and Mr. Hachiya Teruo, Japanese envoy to Netaji's government. The Hikariki Khan was a Japanese liaison office responsible for Japanese relations in the Southeast Asia front. Towards the end of the meeting, an interpreter by the name of Kinji Watanabe also attended. At the end of the meeting, it was decided that Netaji would make a trip to Tokyo from Saigon to meet with the Japanese government to thank the latter for their assistance, discuss the INA surrender and further possible routes into Russia. On August 17th, two planes landed on a deserted airstrip in Saigon. Along with both were S.A. Ayer, Colonel Pritam Singh, Colonel Guzara Singh, Major Abid Hassan, the man who coined the word Jai Hind, Devnath Das and Colonel Habibur Rahman. Now I know there are a lot of names in the story and if you can't remember all of them that's okay but the two most important uh, people who play a big role in this case are Colonel Habibur Rahman and then S.A. Ayer who will feature much later at least not right now. Around noon Bose was informed by Colonel Tada a staff officer to Field Marshal Count Tarauchi, that a plane was available to take him to Tokyo. However, he could not travel with his entire strap as there were seat restrictions. Initially, only one seat was available for Netaji. However, after much discussion and debate, a second seat was made available. The jet was originally headed to Manchuria, carrying Lieutenant General Sunawasa Chirei who was to take charge of the Japanese Kwangtung army. Now with the two seats available on the plane, Bose had to decide whom to take with him as there were strong objections to him travelling alone. It was a tough decision for him to make, but as his men assembled for one last meeting, he picked Colonel Habibur Rahman. Rahman had joined the INA in 1942 in its infancy under Captain Mohan Singh and soon rose to the rank of Deputy Chief of Staff and ADC to Bose. It was said his loyalty to Netaji was unwavering, so much so that an officer once commented, he can keep a secret all his life unless countermanded by Netaji himself. It's a theme that repeats itself continuously throughout the story, sometimes with a devastating impact. At about 5pm, they reached Saigon Airport. Bose told Ayer, Hassan, Das and Gulzara to bring their luggage in case any extra room was available. Along with his personal luggage, Bose carried two 36-inch long suitcases filled with the INA jewellery. The INA jewellery, in case for those who don't know, was jewellery donated by people living outside India as part of the freedom struggle. This, this was money contributed to the freedom struggle so that the Indian National Army could uh, buy arms and fight for India's freedom. The plane took off at about 5.30 and what happens next remained a mystery. The Mitsubishi Kai 21 bomber had begun roaring as the sun began its westward journey on a cool Saigon evening. General Shidei, who had already arrived with the plane, stood ready at the door to welcome his new passengers. Bose bid farewell to his men promising to meet them soon. By August, the mood in India was relaxed. The dropping of the atomic bombs, Japanese surrender, and an end to global hostilities 
was marked with a great sigh of relief by most Indians. Political prisoners were now set free, while law and order seemed to be maintained across the country. Congress leaders who were, re- who were released from prison were now touring India and marking August 9th as Martyrs' Day, honoring the lives lost during the Quit India movement. They had adopted a wait-and-watch policy as the new Labour government was sworn in. Although there were no clear policy initiatives regarding India's uh, eventual independence, the Labour Party had espoused sympathetic views regarding the matter. In fact, on August 21st, the Viceroy announced elections in the various Indian legislatures, a celebrated step many considered to be in the general direction towards self-government. Mind you, Britain at this point were also going forward with plans for a mediation process between the Muslim League and the Congress, which would determine the shape of this new self-government. Hindustan Standard, August 24, 1945. Mr. Subhash Chandra Bose, dead, succumbs to injury from air crash. The plane which was headed to Tokyo had crashed at the Taihoku airfield in Taiwan on August 18th. Netaji, who was in the plane, had received third-degree burns and died the same night at a nearby hospital. Habibur Rahman, who was with Netaji, tried to save his life but ultimately failed and received burns on his hand and other injuries. Subhashtra Drabos, number one quizling of the Far East conflict, died in Japan this week as a result of injuries received in a plane crash. Northern Star Lismo, New South Wales. The Indian quizling Subhashtra Drabos died in the hospital in Japan on Sunday. Tokyo Radio announced today. Post was injured when an aircraft in which he had flown from Singapore crashed while attempting to land near Tokyo. He was taken to hospital and died from injuries. The Daily Telegraph. These headlines rang throughout Calcutta, Bombay, Delhi, Madras and all over India soon enough. The entire nation was devastated. In Bombay and in Bombay shops were closed down, the stock market shut down and schools and colleges were closed for days. Students all over India held condolence meetings while major markets in Ahmedabad and Amritsar closed. In Karachi, people observed 26th August as Subhash Bose Day. Amidst the furious battles against imperialism, against ideology, against religious division, against hunger, against injustice, a nation stood still in mourning to shed a collective tear for a brave soul now departed. Mahatma Gandhi, his ideological opponent too, was in tears and ordered the flag to be brought down to half voice. Pandit Nehru broke down in a meeting and said, A mixed feeling of deepest sorrow and relief enveloped my soul for the present. Sorrow because the great selfless leader passed away and relief because the brave man met with a brave and sudden death. Sharad Chandra Bose, his elder brother and closest confidant, received the news in jail and was completely shattered. His associates in Anushin Samiti, along with many of his rivals in Muslim League, the Congress Party and the Communist Party, were sad to hear the news. However, while the nation mourned and the British sighed in relief, the Viceroy of India, Field Marshal Archibald Wavell, made a note in his diary on August 24th. I wonder if the Japanese announcement of Subhash Chandra Bose's death in an air crash is true. I suspect it very much. 
it is just what should be given out if he meant to go underground my first reaction when i heard it was to tell the psv the private secretary to viceroy to ask seac southeast asia command to make most careful inquiries into the story as soon as they could if it is true it will be a great relief his disposal would have presented a most difficult problem the death of mr subhash chandra bose reported by the japanese if true relieved the british authorities of a difficult problem and has undoubtedly caused new pain and in the heart of millions of indians writes preston goa associated press of american staff correspondent on august 29 nehru was addressing the press when alfred wong a reporter from the chicago tribune interrupted the press conference and made a startling claim pandit nehru was addressing a group of journalists making a plea for clemency for the deceased netaji so that his name may not be included in the war criminals list Walk countered him hotly suggesting that Netaji was indeed a war criminal and in fact alive and seen 4 days earlier in Saigon This was the first time that the story of Netaji being alive after the crash was mentioned in such a public fashion Mind you the the note that Mr Archibald Wavell wrote in his diary was declassified in the 70s it was just something that he had in his mind that he had written out in his diary Soon after, Alfred Ward toured India and met with various political leaders including Gandhi ji and Sarat Chandra Bose. He was a war correspondent working with the US State Department moving around with the allied forces. The revelations barely made any headlines and life continued as usual. Most Indians at the time came to believe the crash is true and their views would be solidified largely by Colonel Habib Rahman's statement. Habib was the sole Indian to have accompanied Netaji. On the 17th after the takeoff from Saigon, the bomber aircraft landed in Turin, now known as Tanang, where Netaji and the rest of the passengers stopped over for the night. On August 18th, the bomber landed at Matsuyama Airdrome around 2 p.m., where the passengers stopped over for a light lunch. Habib who was feeling cold, changed into a warm bush coat. riches and top boots netaji wore his khaki cotton uniform they boarded the plane at about 2:30 you know i'd rather habib or rahman tell you the story in his own words because it is in his own words that this story makes the greatest impact As the plane took off there was according to Habib a loud explosion akin to a cannon shot as the plane steered violently to the left from a height of approximately 30 meters the bomber plunged towards the earth below at a speed of 300 kilometers per hour on impact both the pilots and general shidey were killed instantly and the plane was set ablaze netaji who was sitting just below a fuel tank was struck on the forehead as the tank fell and drenched him in gasoline with a bruised knee and a ruptured forehead rahman yelled out to his injured leader aage se nikliye piche se rasta nahi hai 
asking him to exit the front door of the plane as there was no room from the back. The door was covered in flames but Bose, covering his face, rushed through and jumped with Rahman following him closely. Rahman stated, His clothes were on fire. I rushed and I experienced great difficulty in fastening his bush shirt belt. His trousers were not so much on fire and it was not necessary to take them off. He was not wearing the sweater. He was wearing khaki drill. I laid him down on the ground and noticed a very deep cut on his head, probably on the left side. His face had been scorched by the heat and his hair had also caught fire and singed. The cut in his head was a long one, about four inches long. I tried to stop his bleeding by handkerchief. As for myself, my hands were very badly burnt. As I came through the fire, the right side of my face was burnt and I noticed I had received a cut in the forehead which was bleeding and also the right side of my right knee was also bleeding profusely as it had hit some hard substance. The head cut was caused by hitting the floor as the plane crashed. My clothes did not catch on fire. When I laid Netaji on the ground, I myself lay by his side. I was feeling acute pain and exhaustion. I saw a Japanese passenger about 20 yards away bleeding profusely and moaning. Just then, Netaji inquired from me, Aapko zyada to nahi lagi? Hope you have not been hurt badly. I replied, I feel that I will be alright. About himself, he said that he felt that he would not survive. Oh no, God will spare you. I am sure you will be alright, I said. He said, no, I don't think so. When you go back to the country, tell the people that up to the last I have been fighting for the liberation of my country. They should continue to struggle as I am sure India will be free before long. Nobody can keep India in bondage now. Netaji was soon taken to a local hospital nearby. Dr. Taneyoshi Yoshimi, who was in charge at the time, took to Bose immediately. According to Dr. Yoshimi's statement to the Shanawas committee, I found that he was severely burnt all over his body and all of it had taken on a greyish colour like ash. Even his heart had burnt. His face was swollen. In my opinion, his burns were of the severest type, i.e. of the third degree. There was no injury on his body from which blood came out. His eyes were swollen. He could see but had difficulty in opening them. He was in his senses when he was brought in. He was in high fever. His temperature was 39 degrees centigrade. His pulse rate was 120 beats per minute. The condition of his heart was also weak. Yoshimi figured, given the state of the heart, that the man wouldn't last the night. Bose clung to life desperately as he swung from consciousness to unconsciousness, all the while in terrible pain. He asked for water intermittently and then around 7, 7.30, he went into a coma from which he never recovered. At about 8 p.m., Netaji Subhash Chandra Bose breathed his last, surrounded by a weeping Rahman, who did his very best for his leader. This was Colonel Rahman's version which he had given out to the Shanoas Khan Committee 
1956. Post partition, Rahman moved to Pakistan and was involved in planning the insurgencies in, in Kashmir, 1948. He retired as additional defense secretary and passed away in 1978, never wavering from the story until the very end. In our next episode, the mystery of the plane crash continues and Mahatma Gandhi now ventures into the discussion. British and American agents are at work in Taiwan. Dainy trials begin. Congress and Muslim League unite, albeit briefly. The country erupts and India venture into one of her most turbulent years. Before I go, I'd like to share a small press clipping I'd found of Dr. Robert Oppenheimer, who spearheaded the Manhattan Project responsible for the development of the atomic bomb. He quotes Lord Krishna from the Bhagavad Gita as the nuclear explosions take place. Until next time, Namaskar. Five, four, three, two, one. In the dead silence of the morning, at 5.29.45 Mountain War Time, the Jornada del Muerto was bathed in an intense flash of a light that man had only seen from the stars. I suppose we all thought that one way or another.